Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, alert the presses, sound the alarm. Folks, it happened. The Sabres have finally, for the first time this season, won three straight as the Sabres picked up a win in the shootout against Carolina on Sunday. It was a come-from-behind effort for the Sabres, who scored in the third period as the Hurricanes were ahead 2-1. to one. Owen Power ended up having the tying goal that ultimately sent it into overtime and then a shootout, of course. Uh, UPL had another excellent game today. He stopped all four shooters in the shootout, and he finished this one with 30 saves. Jeff Skinner scored for the Sabres in addition to Owen Power, and unfortunately, they did not get a lot of help on Sunday as Detroit ended up picking up the win. That being said, the Sabres now set 11 points out of that second wild card spot taylor what are your takeaways from the game today and how you're feeling right now coming out of the sabers first three game winning streak of the 23-24 season yeah i think it might be the best win of the season i know they've had two big blowouts like they blew out toronto and they blew out the kings the reason i say it's the best win of the season is because the other team is actually playing well it wasn't some off game like the kings had recently or the Leafs had when, you know, back in uh, December when the Sabres put nine on them. It was just, it's a really good team, one of the better teams in the East that was having a, a good game and their goaltender was on, which you wouldn't, I mean, I, sh- I should have said, I was going to say you wouldn't expect, but actually you would expect it. Everyone with a save percentage behind or below 900 is uh, seemingly on when they play the Sabres. So it was really cool. The Sabres went behind twice. One nothing and two to one, they had a pretty tough call go against them. One or two pretty tough calls, and I mean, so did Carolina. I'm sure it wasn't the best officiated night, but the Sabers uh, did something they haven't been able to do most of the year, which is tie a game, get it to overtime, and then obviously they were able to pull through in a shootout. Great win, three in a row. I I wish it didn't take until February 25th, but you know beggars can't be choosers. Totally. Again, I agree with you. It was just a a real quality win all around. It was a a hard-fought game against a team that has no shortage of firepower and a system that doesn't really typically allow a whole lot of offense, but the Sabres were able to generate that. 
in this game and and ultimately Casey Middlestat winning it for them in the shootout. Taylor, any big takeaways from you in terms of any standout performances? UPL continues to impress and had another strong outing in this one. It's it just become commonplace now that he is just consistently awesome. And I think that that is just such a huge development for him and the Sabres team right now. Uh, additionally, Peyton Krebs, man. Play this man with skilled players and good things will happen. Had another solid game, picking up the assist on Owen Powers' game-tying goal in the third period there. What were, uh, I mean, if it was those two or any others, what performances stood out to you the most in this one? Those were two of them. I also wanted to mention Darlene. Darlene, inexplicably, had his career high in minutes, despite the fact that he had two penalties. <laughs> wow. Pretty astounding. He was pretty much in the box or on the ice the entire night. He played 31-43 which is almost half when you consider overtime. Mm-hmm. So that, that's insane to me. I thought he had a really good game. I thought Power also did. Obviously, he's coming back from his injury. Uh, I think the Sabres looked a lot worse without Power. I know that it's not always easy to see what he does well on the ice, and we see mistakes that he makes pretty frequently, but it's clear that they're better with him in the lineup, no doubt about it. And frankly, Darlene, uh, this is the best I've seen him play in a little while. This is the best game I think he's had in a while. And he fully uh, deserved to be out there as long as he was. And honestly, Carolina, the Sabres have had trouble in the past few years with this relentless forecheck that Carolina has. It was a problem early on. We, I don't want to mention any bad performances, but a certain 37-year-old defenseman looked his age on the first Carolina goal there a few minutes into the game. And I think Dowling kind of had to step up and play that as many minutes as he did. And it ended up being you know, pretty vital that he played as much as he did. So that's great. One of one of the best Dowling games, even without him having a goal or anything like that. Uh, Krebs, like you mentioned, yeah, that's just as simple as that. He needs someone to pass to. Uh, and I think that the only other one I wanted to mention, um, except for UPL, actually, let's mention UPL real quick. He's getting up to like a 915 in save percentage. Uh, he's really inching towards the top of the league. I'm looking at the list right now. In terms of guys who have played at least half their team's games, he is... He's he's getting really close to the top 10. I'm not sure exactly where he ends up after this game, but he's in the range with like Talbot and Markstrom. Because there's I'm looking at the list now, but there's way too many guys on here that have not played half their team's games. Yeah. So depending on where exactly he got to with today's game, he might be top 10 in the NHL. For Unbelievable. Goalies, which is great. So the only negative one I'm going to mention now is Tage. Tage had multiple chances to end the game. I actually believe he had one in regulation. One in overtime. One regulation was uh, not exactly a breakaway, but he kind of did get free and clear in front of the net. Breakaway in overtime, where he didn't even really get a shot off, and then he had a shootout attempt. And all look bad. They, w- one was worse than the other, and it, his confidence it seems to be really shattered right now. Everyone else is good, though. Yeah, I mean, and he's really the one, though, that they kind of very much need to start waking up a little bit here. We talked about last episode with him playing through some injuries, supposedly right now. It seems like that's very much the case. We know that probably came back a bit earlier than he needed to uh, earlier in the season in the first half of the year. So would really love for Tage to to get healthy. And if he is healthy, to just really kind of, you know, have the light start going on here because we need some of that finishing touch back bad if the Sabres are trying to make up as much ground as they've as they've lost over the uh their performance over the first half of the season. Couple of stats I just wanted to throw out there too to just put Dalian's performance in perspective here. Uh came across these while scrolling through Twitter this evening. Darlene, this one's from Brian Cozio, who played 3143 tonight. It's the sixth straight game where he has been 
played at least 29 minutes, which is a Sabres record. And adding off of that, Lance Lysowski pointed out that with Darlene playing over 29 minutes tonight, he's the first defenseman in the NHL to play 29 minutes tonight in six straight games since Eric Carlson did it in seven straight in February from uh from February 25th 2016 to March 8th 2016 and then finally Buffalo Sabres stats had also noted Darlene uh skating a career high of 3143 tonight and the Sabres are now 4-1 and 0 all time when Darlene has over 30 minutes time on ice in a game so really Darlene when he's playing well and he's eating minutes like that he has the ability to be the engine that drives the Sabres. And the fact of the matter is, is that he really just hasn't been that nearly enough this year as much as they've needed him to. But I think you look at this most recent stretch that he's been on here and you see, hey, he, he's starting to play a bit more freely and, and getting back to his game a little bit. You know, we had talked at length, everybody has, about how bogged down it felt like he was getting with some of the defensive aspects of his game and letting that then affect his offense. And... Again, I think that there's obviously still a lot of room to grow with that compared to how we had seen him last year and doing that on a much more consistent basis. But what it comes down to, though, is that tonight is a reminder that like when Darlene is on his game and he's playing well, he has the ability to lead this team and take them to the next level. Coupling that with, as you had mentioned before, Owen Power, uh, it's been talked about at length and has been very divisive among fans, his, his play this year. And I think that there's maybe some uh, a bit of talking about it in the extremes in either direction. I think that what's actually happening is that he falls somewhere in the middle where he sure you are seeing a lot of those like second full year growing pains from him. And there have been a lot of moments where he's looked lost out there in the defensive zone, that there's been some mental lapses. There's been some lapse in coverage, whatnot. That's to be expected with a, a defenseman of his age. You know, it, it takes time for them to be able to, you know, read plays and be able to identify coverage and, and missed coverage opportunities and and having their game as well-rounded as they could possibly be like we're, we're very early in his career and it just it takes some time for these guys to really step into that like a lot of the elite nhl defensemen and so for or for power's sake you know i i think and the inverse of that though we've also seen a lot of what we saw last year out of him in terms of a lot of very smart simple plays that are well beyond his years and him being able to stay composed and be able to make his presence known when he's on the ice, both in goal prevention, but also in the continuation of obviously like the offensive cycle and when they're in the offensive zone. So for me, I feel like there's somewhere in the middle where like, you know, he hasn't been perfect this year by any means, but at the same time, it's not like he's been some disaster that's losing them games night in and night out. Um, and I, again, as we're like getting down the stretch here, the Sabres are going to need a lot to go in their favor because there's a lot of ground to make up here. But if nothing else, if Power and Darlene are about to be entering into their best stretches of the season, there's no better time than than right now for what the Sabres team needs to make getting in the picture even remotely serious. So coming up next for the Sabres on the 27th, which is Tuesday, they are playing against Florida in Florida following that up two days later on the 29th in Tampa, and then they're back at home on Saturday against Vegas. So three games coming up this week, really pivotal that the Sabres are able to go out and win 
against these teams because there's no there's no slouches coming up here, folks. We have Florida, Tampa, and Vegas, as we said. After that, you have Winnipeg, then Toronto, then Nashville, then Edmonton. This is a this is a pretty serious stretch we have coming up against really good teams, and it's going to be a real test to show how serious are you right now. Like, if you are going to get back into this picture, you're going to really have to earn it here. And as we've said many times over the past few weeks, for myself, I believe you as well, like to take them seriously, like it's got to be five. You can't, you can't just win three and then you go lose two and you're back to where you are before. Like you need to win five, six, seven straight here to really start making up ground and get serious about this. And so, yes, you have tough matchups coming up. Obviously Florida, probably the best team in the East this year. Tampa, of course, they still are in this playoff conversation. And Kucherov, actually, I believe today, he was the first player in the NHL to reach 100 points this year. So he has been on a heater there. Uh, and then, of course, Vegas as well, like the, the cup winners from last year. Like these are all very good teams that are coming up. And you're going to have to prove yourself, you know. Now's the time where we'll see if they will be able to truly make up for the slow start that they had gotten off to this year. What do you think about this upcoming stretch, though, Taylor? I mean, I, I can't imagine that optimism is very high right now for them to be able to to go on a run here given the schedule they have coming up like there's really no slouches coming up so you know where do you stand with them you know ahead of this week that's just so pivotal for them against three pretty solid teams yeah i think this is another thing like i think two weeks ago i don't really solid's a good way to put this because one of these teams is great in florida like I said last episode, I think they're the best team in the East. Uh, Tampa, despite Kucherov being as good as he has been and, and Stamkos in point two, they're the last wild card right now. Mm-hmm. They're well ahead of – they're 11 points ahead of the Sabres, so they're well ahead of them. Uh, but a lot of that is because Tampa's been good in one goal games and the Sabres haven't. The Sabres' goal differential is really not that different than Tampa. It's about 10 goals different, which is very small for an 11-point difference at this point in the season. And I think Tampa has two games, or we have two games in hand on Tampa, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, not that I'm talking playoffs at all. I just just saying in general, Tampa has not been all that great this year. I think their depth is a problem. Vasilevsky hasn't been as good this year. It's interesting. They're really not the Tampa of the past. I say for now. The last one, Vegas. Brendan Vegas, not in terms of NHL 500, but in real 500. Vegas has lost more than they've won. Since early November. A lot of injuries they've been dealing with. Yeah. Not which, sure. Our again, old friend on IR again. Uh, Tampa, or Tampa, Vegas is an older team in general. A lot of their team is built in trades and free agency. So they're, they're pretty old, despite the fact that Hill, who also has been hurt for at least a little while, despite the fact that he's had a really good year when he's been in. Yeah, like I said, they started 11-0-1-1. They have been straight up not good since then. And that's a really long size. It's a really long period. So I think their point pace from like November 10th to present is like an 84 point pace over, over the course of an 82 game season. So not really good. Wow. So the way I'm looking at this week is, especially with that game being at home, beat one of the Florida teams and win that game. And then you had a good week. Uh, one last thing I want to say on today's game, one last stat. Eric Johnson, 751, seven minutes and 51 seconds at even strength. 
trade this man already please put him out of our misery put a, put us put us out of our misery all of it <laughs> you can't play him more than that but you probably it's gonna be hard to trade him like you want this guy with skating seven minutes and 51 seconds a game you want the guy we're playing less than eric robinson gosh well that's quite a question you want to ponder that while i uh read some words from our sponsor i would love nothing more all right folks we know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. So, for example, if you're listening to this on Monday, tonight, the red-hot Ottawa Senators are in Washington. Despite the fact that they're on the road and 7th in their division and that they're the Ottawa Senators, they're actually favored. Last I looked, they were about a minus 120 on the money line. Uh, against Washington in tonight's game. So if you want to bet on that or any other NHL action, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit www.1800gambler.net and your call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. Connecticut help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. CDKNG.com slash hockey terms. For eligibility deposit restrictions. Terms and responsible gaming resources. NHL and NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. So, Brendan, um, the people don't know this. Or, you know what? They might know this because we said this at the last end of last episode. We did. Uh, I don't remember how this came up. Ooh, sorry. I'm going to cut myself off real quick there. I had one last, last thing on the game. The thing I was trying to remember last week that led us to this conversation that we're about to have, what I was really trying to remember was the, the whole conversation about the Sabres salute after games, uh, which the Sabres came out after tonight's win and saluted the fans. So moot point, conversation over, uh, not worth getting into, old news, but that's what I was trying to remember. Um, but with that led us to talking about uh, different things, including the Penguins retiring Yager's number, which you brought up. A lot of people were saying, do the Penguins have the all-time best, uh, I guess you would say, Mount Rushmore of players? And we thought we should do one for every team. So you handled the Western Conference, and I handled the East. Uh so do we want to? How do we want to do this? Do you want to do this one team at a time, or should I do the East and then you do the West? How about we that do a division? How about we do a division at a time? Do you want to do one, like one East division? I'll do a West division. That's a good idea. And then what I wanted to ask you too, because I'm assuming since we didn't fully talk about this beforehand, I kind of blended mine a little bit, where it was both in terms of like the right now, but also just what I think the future is going to be like. So like, for example. I have Nathan McKinnon on Colorado's, not because he's there right now, but because I think that he would rank all time in his career ahead of Adam Foote or Milan Hayduke, for example, who would otherwise be in that spot as it stands right now. That only applied for like a couple of these for in I, the case of like pure star players that are like going to definitely end up there. Yeah, I think he's there. Okay, that's fair. I mean, we'll get to it when we get to that. We'll get to Colorado. But, yeah, I think he's 100% there. Okay, that's point. fair. But um, there's probably other examples that are, that are a little bit more. Shaky, yeah, because but... there, there's, like, flexibility. Because I feel like for some, like, I took into account, like, if a guy particularly, like, means a lot to a fan base, you know? like Oh, I of course. Add, yeah, that comes in especially for, especially for newer teams and teams that don't have a ton of 
Hall of Famers that have played for him. Yep. That ends up mattering a lot. All right, um, so you want to start? Yeah, let's do the Atlantic. This is an order of the standings as of Sunday morning. So Boston. Boston is an interesting one. Uh, obviously a super old team with a lot of success. But what I found was, in terms of Mount Rushmore, there was really ended up just being five guys fighting for four spots. Unless I'm forgetting someone. I hope I'm not forgetting someone for any of these teams, but it'd be embarrassing. But for Boston, I put it this way. No doubt about it, right off the bat, Bobby Orr's in. No discussion required. Nine seasons, one Calder, eight Norrises. So two cups, I think. Ray Bork. Ray Bork, no cups. One of the well, until he got to Colorado. Right. Uh, but no cups in Boston. But they're all time leading scorer. The all time leading scorer and defenseman in terms of points and goals. The only defenseman with four hundred goals. Uh multi time Norris winner. One of the what he would be on the NHL starting five for the 1980s, no doubt. One of the best ever. Next, I had Phil Esposito. People don't know Phil Esposito was not only one of the best scorers of all time, he was the most dominant goal scorer of the 70s. And I would say that he's on a short list with Gretzky, Ovechkin, Bobby Hall. And maybe Matthew soon for guys that dominated an era to a ridiculous degree. The goal record was 50 or 51 uh, that Maurice Richard had. And obviously the season got longer around then. It went from 70 games to 82. Phil Esposito just started popping in 76 goals, things like that. Now, he was a little tougher because he didn't play his whole career in Boston. He played for the Blackhawks and Rangers as well. But he was unbelievable in Boston. In his peak, played with war and all that. But yeah, scoring like 76 goals and the record was 50 is insane. And he pretty consistently led the league in goals for about a seven-year period in Boston. So he's right there, a multi-time hard trophy winner, too. And then the fourth one, this is really not that much of a surprise, uh, but it's Bergeron. Uh, Bergeron, I don't know how many Selkie trophies he won. A lot. He won a cup. Uh, He won quite a bit. And so probably people are going to hear this and think, like, wow, you left out a lot of years. Because I have the Bergeron representing this era, Esposito and Orr for the 60s and 70s, and then Bork for the 80s and 90s. So basically nothing for Boston pre-expansion, which they had a lot of success. Here's the thing. The honorable mention I have, which I have honorable mentions for a few of these, Johnny Busick, I never know how to say his name, Busick, Busick, whatever. He's the honorable mention. He was right there. I just couldn't put him in over any of those guys. That was a really tough one, but that was the only guy I thought was really in contention. So I want to go way faster for the rest of these. That was too long. <clears throat> one that's much easier. In fact, this one required no thought at all, basically. Florida. Uh, Barkov. Number one, Sasha Barkov. Not that these are actually ranked, but Barkov is their all-time leader in everything. And before him, the all-time leader was Jonathan Huberdeau. So he's on there, obviously. Uh, they had a Hall of Fame goalie in Roberto Luongo. Didn't have him for his whole prime or anything, but he's their leader in all their goaltending type stuff, and he's he may be the best player that's ever played for the franchise. And they don't really have another great player after that. Uh, you can look at like Ekblad and guys like that. To represent the 90s and their run in 96, that kind of really solidified Florida hockey, I went with Jonathan Van Beesbrook after mm-hmm. how. So he was unbelievable in their run to the Cup in 96, one of the biggest surprise runs ever. The only other guys I want to shout out on will mention are Stephen Weiss and Ole Okunen, classic guys from the aughts. And then Toronto, 
Oh, by the way, let me know if you have any disagreements or thoughts on these. Um, well, yeah, no, keep yeah, going. No, keep I've, going. I've agreed I... with pretty much everything so far. Okay. Toronto. Weird one, but let's let's go easy. Matt Sundin, their all-time leading scorer. Um, one of the most important players to their renaissance in the in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, so he's, he's I would say an easy one, but yeah, that's that's pretty easy. Tim Horton. Mm-hmm. Great coffee. Great donuts. Great guy. Great player. Um, he's one of the best defensemen ever. He was, and he's super longevity. Back when they actually used to win, that's how old Tim Horton is. Unbelievable player in the 50s and 60s. Uh, another guy to mention from the old days. Got to go to the old days when it comes to Toronto. A goalie that won three or four cups with them. Turk Broda, one of the oh, best goalies yeah. in the era. Uh, he's he's kind of underrated in terms of he might be the best Maple Leaf ever, but I don't know because he played before my parents were born, so hard to say. And then this one is going to be controversial, but it might be getting at what you were getting at earlier. Austin Matthews. That's fair. Tell him. Um, but Toronto has only won one Hart Trophy in the modern era. In like the last 70 years, they have one Hart Trophy, basically. It's Austin Matthews. They might have two at the end of this year. It would be, again, Austin Matthews. He might have 75 goals this year. He is 350 goals. He's 20, I think, I believe he's about to turn 26. He does that while being the best player in his own end among all the good players as well. He's unbelievable in that re- Well, maybe not, maybe not the best on, in his own end of all the good Toronto players, but he's great in his own end. His results all over the ice are incredible. He's great at everything. His assists are way down because he just can't stop scoring goals. Despite his playoff failures, you have to have him here, I think. And then there's other guys, you know, an honorable mention. Doug Gilmore, unbelievable in 1993, but didn't play for Toronto that long. Uh, and then just a bunch of old guys. Punch Imlach for as a coach. They won multiple cups with him. Dave Keon, George Armstrong, uh, Boris Salming, Johnny Bauer, Daryl Sittler, Curtis Joseph. You know, guys like that. Also, I also considered them, but ended up on this. Uh, Detroit, not that hard, actually. Gordie Howe, obviously. Nick Lidstrom, one of the best defensemen ever. Steve Eiserman, also, like, one of the best players ever. And I ended up going with Terry Sawchuk for the fourth one. Uh, okay. For okay. two real reasons. One, he's unbelievable. His numbers are insane. Uh, and also, to represent that era, Detroit's an old team. Detroit had a lot of success in the 40s and 50s. That's someone that was around then. He was one of the best goalies ever. Uh, one of the real characters of the old NHL. Uh, and many people don't know this. Was still playing when he died. He died in a fight with his te- Rangers teammate. He'd been on the Rangers at this point. One of his friends and Rangers teammates killed him in a fight, basically. Uh, which um, Terry Sawcheck kind of said, hey, it was my fault. Don't arrest this guy. And the guy didn't get arrested. Wow, wow. Real story. Look, look up this full story on Wikipedia. It's crazy. You don't have time for it now, but it's crazy. I also, um, other guys I thought of were Pavel Dotsuk, Sergei Fedorov, Red Kelly, Brendan Shanahan, and Henrik Sederberg. Tampa Bay, a lot of recent guys, obviously. And Tampa has a lot of guys for a franchise that's only 30 years old. Steven Stamkos, no doubt. Kucherov, Hart Trophy winner. Martin St. Louis, also a Hart Trophy winner. Stanley Cup winner. Victor Hedman. Uh, Norris winner, consistent, I believe, six-time Norris finalist. So the only thing that was tough there is you might have noticed I did not put Andre Vasilevsky in there. I chose Hedman over him. I think Hedman's been good for longer. 
I think Hedman's been more consistent, and Vasilevsky's play this year is not leading me to change my mind much. Uh, but other guys I considered, LeCavalier, Richards, Dan Boyle from the old days, and also Braden Point. All right, then we're to the the, the most interesting one here, the Buffalo Sabres. Give it to me. Yeah. Starting off, obviously, no doubt about it, we got Dixon Ward. <laughs> we got Norm Millie. No. So we got Hashik. That's the most obvious one. Slam dunk, easy. And this was also obvious. Gilbert Perot. Perot, their all-time leading scorer, I believe in goals, assists, and points. Hashik, six-time Vesna winner, two-time Hart Trophy winner. That should also be obvious. Beyond that, it gets tough. It gets interesting. It really comes down to what you value, considering they haven't won the Cup. I think to represent the 2000s and the successful 05-06-06-07 teams, as well as some of the competitive teams after that, I chose Ryan Miller, who is their all-time leader oh, in a few yeah. categories and has his number retired. After that, really tough. But I went with Lindy Ruff. Wow. Who was a good, not great saber, a captain, I believe, but also their their best coach ever. Oh, maybe not best coach ever, but like their winningest coach ever. Got them to a cup, got them to four conference finals. Uh is by far, by far, probably never get caught as their winningest coach. Was a coach for more than I believe 15 years, it was. 97 to 2012, 2013. So I mean, in terms of coaching, there's it, there's no one that uh, comes close to him. Even Scotty Bowman as a Sabres coach isn't close to rough. And the fact that he played for them and was a captain and all that helps a lot. He was just a part of so many Sabres seasons between, like, what, like 1980 and 2013. He was there pretty much that whole time. So, yeah, that's that's a big one. And Who, was, who did you come down? Lindy, I'm assuming, was your fourth, obviously. So who yeah. else was in contention for that spot? LaFontaine, mm. which incredible player. Maybe at his peak, the best saber skater ever. Uh, just didn't play enough. He played two full seasons of his six seasons here, and just it wasn't enough. That's he was just hurt too much to to really include here. Uh, McGillney, who just was not here very long at all, as well. Uh, Rick Martin, Rennie Robert, mm-hmm. those guys. I just would have felt putting one in weird, putting one in and not the other. Danny Gare, number retired. Part of really great teams. And then Dave Anderchuk, who is second all-time in points for the Sabres, despite getting traded before the age of 30. Well done, sir. Well done. On to the Central Division? Uh, no, we have two more. Oh, we have, we have two more. Keep it going. Ottawa right. Montreal, yeah. Ottawa. <laughs> Always forget they're this young of a franchise. Alfredson, by far their all-time leading scorer. Great player for a long time. Ton of longevity. Eric Carlson. Three-time Norris winner, two-time for them. So, I mean, he was insane. He's the best scoring defenseman of the 21st century, I'd say. He, so he's great. That's an easy one. After that, it gets interesting in terms of guys who are um, great players for a short time versus guys who were there. So I just have to go with Spezza. Uh, Spezza is, I think, one of the – He's he was – a really good prospect and all that. He never became like a uh, MVP level guy, but he was really good for a really long time. And then Chris Phillips, who I believe is their all-time leader in games played, is a, their only first overall pick. 
uh, I pick him because there's not a lot of other great choices. Uh, you'll see here there's a few guys that were either good for a long time or great for a short time. They're honorable mentions. Mike Fisher, Marion Hosa, Danny Heatley, and Craig Anderson. None of them are long-time uh, senators for the most part. And then the last place team currently in the Atlantic Division. And this was a – to say this is a tough one was an uh, understatement. And I think this is the one that makes me think um, – got me thinking about them versus Pittsburgh a lot. But let's just get it over with. Montreal. Maurice Richard, the goal-scoring trophy – Trophy that goes to the best goal scorer every year is literally named after him. <laughs> so he's got to be on here. Patrick Waugh, who only played about half his career there. However, maybe only about more than half, a little bit more than half. He played there for more than a decade. He also won two cups and got to another one there and was pretty incredible for all three of those playoff runs and has a decent case for best goalie of all time. So that's important. And then Guy Lafleur, the most important Skater, I guess you would say, to their 70s dynasty, one of one of their multiple dynasties. He, I don't know if he's their all-time leading goal scorer. I think it's still Richard, actually. But Guy Lafleur, unbelievable, despite not, he didn't have a super long career or anything, but unbelievable player in the 70s. <clears throat> and then you have John Beliveau, who represents the dynasty before that one, more in the 50s and 60s. Beliveau was the best player in the world at that time multiple hard trophy winners. He also played with Richard, so I guess that was there's two guys from those teams. Uh, but they don't really deserve to have anyone um, after the 21st century. It, there's one guy I put as a honorable mention. So this is how deep they are. I did not include Ken Dryden. Wow. Wow. Who also really has a case for having the best peak ever as a goaltender. Another part of the 70s team. I just couldn't. Like, who do you pick? The best forward of the 50s? Guy Lafleur, the best forward of the 70s? Or one of the best forwards of the 70s? Wow, Richard. Like, who do you take over him? I also, this not one of their top two goaltenders of all time, Jacques Plante. So he's not there. Uh, the only one I threw in from the 21st century is Carey Price. Uh, then you also have Larry Robinson, Doug Harvey, Henri Richard, and Arne Lapointe. So, and then there's just a bunch of Hall of Famers I didn't even put on there, so... That's wild. So anything stand out to you from the Atlantic? No, I mean, I think there was nothing that seemed particularly overly egregious by any stretch of the imagination. I think you were pretty spot on with everything. And I think anybody that you that I would have disagreed with, you had kind of mentioned as a honorable mention. And so, yeah, I really I, I don't have any uh, any complaints there. Are you ready to get mad at my list now? Uh, yes. <laughs> All right. So I'll start off with the central we, I didn't do it in order. I just did it in like random order of how I remember the teams when they popped up into my head, uh, just going through. So I'll start off with Colorado. Um, I think Colorado's is probably relatively easy, not exactly controversial. Uh, I had Sackick, Patrick Waugh, Peter Forsberg, and Nathan McKinnon. You start off with Sackick. He was the captain in Colorado for 13 years. He played his entire career with the franchise, starting off in in Quebec and obviously moving on as they uh, moved into Colorado. His numbers retired. He leads them in just about every major statistical offensive category. Um, Games played, goals, assists, points. 
it's just a no-brainer that Sackick would be on there. Obviously, Patrick Waugh then, he comes there from Montreal, as you would just mention, ends up winning a couple of cups and further cements himself as one of the three best goalies in NHL history during his time there. Peter Forsberg, unbelievable in his time there. Obviously, it's so unfortunate that his career we saw a lot less of him than we probably should have just given injuries and whatnot, but had an unbelievable career there. He's sixth all time in scoring for the avalanche and he's outside of the top 10 and in, in games played. And so it just goes to show how effective he was while he was there. And then Nathan McKinnon, he already is fourth in points all time for the Colorado avalanche franchise. And he's already fifth uh all time in games played i think it's a no-brainer that he's gonna just easily cement himself there uh especially already having won a cup and just being at his peak right now and being one of the five best players in the world uh honorable mentions as i mentioned at the top of the episode i had adam foot and milan hey duke which were both uh pretty integral parts of their 90s and 2000s success so I don't think that there was really anything too uh, egregious there. And I'll also say Cal McCarr, I think, ends up getting into the conversation as well. But it's going to be hard to knock out any of the four guys I mentioned. Um, moving on to Dallas, this was a tough one. I felt like three of these were obvious and one I had a little bit of trouble with. So off the top, uh, I'm just not a surprise at all. But uh, Mike Madano is number one for me. I think that's another no-brainer. Again, a guy that played his just about uh, almost his entire career, I should say, with the same team there in Dallas and previously when they were the North Stars, is the leader in pretty much every major category, almost 1,500 games played there, over 500 goals, over 800 assists, and uh, 1,359 points. Again, all-timer, one of the best American hockey players of all time. Ended up winning a cup with them uh, in whatever year that was. Not familiar, but pretty much <laughs> no-brainer there. Uh, and my second one, Sergey Zubov. What's that? Rue Pence? He's going to be there. Don't worry. He's honorable mention. No, <laughs> Sergey Zubov is next. Sergey Zubov, top five all-time in games played uh, with over 800 games played, was probably the best defenseman in the history of the franchise, um, a, a consistent offensive presence for them. Again, just the guy, he's fourth overall, uh, all-time in assists in Stars history, Um you know, just a, a guy that when you think about, again, same thing, those kind of like 2000s Dallas Stars teams like Zubov is a guy that immediately comes to mind. Number three, Jamie Benn. I think that Jamie Benn makes a lot of sense here uh, for a few reasons. First of all, over a thousand game, a thousand games played for the Stars. He's been the captain for so long. He won an Art Ross while he was there and really during his tenure as captain, you know, ushered in, I know there was a couple of down years there and he especially, you know, really over these past two years or so has really resurrected his career, but Dallas has been consistently a threat. Um, that's not to say that it's all because of Jamie Ben, but during his tenure as captain and as he's been kind of the leader and one of the go-to guys on that team, the tide has obviously changed with that now, but they have been good under him, uh, you know, under his leadership and with him as captain there. And he's been consistent for them. And it's just, again, he's he's right behind Madonna in just about every major category. And then my last one, this is really what I had the most trouble with. Um, there was a few names that I was going between, you know, uh, Marty Turco and Ed Balfour, the two most popular goalies, famous goalies in Dallas Stars history. Uh, Brendan Morrow was somebody that was popping into my head. Yuri Lettinen came to mind. Darian Hatcher, not so much, but maybe he's in the conversation. 
maybe depending on like playoff success over the next couple of years, like Sagan, just because he's been there for so long and has been pretty productive while he's been there. But ultimately, I ended up going with Marty Turco for this one. Uh, he has the most games played or uh, games played by a goalie and wins in Dallas Stars history. And it just felt like he maybe made a little bit more sense instead of Belfort, even though Belfort did win the cup for them. I think Marty Turco, his identity is a little bit more like he is a Dallas star more than Ed Belfort. But like you had mentioned, him with Chicago previously. And so I kind of took that into consideration between the two. Um, moving on to Winnipeg slash Atlanta. So I think it's interesting. You, the ones you have so far. Oh yeah. Um, go ahead. You have multiple, um, moved teams and this is another one. These teams have moved, but you have this star that they moved with. So Madonna and Sackick, but the unsuccessful previous franchises, like of the North stars and Quebec, mm-hmm. you didn't have anyone like standalone from them. I didn't think it so. Makes no. sense. Yeah, I don't think that any of them really from those previous iterations, you know, like there was obviously a lot of uh, of great guys there. Like, who am I thinking? Who am I missing on Colorado? Like Michael Goulet, right? Like he was amazing for Quebec for a very long time and was very productive for them. Um, let's see. Wait, yeah, I mean, he's fourth overall in games played. He's got to be. Yeah, he's second in goals third in points but again i think just like measuring the success of like a guy like forsberg who was there who again played less games has like a little bit less points uh well a couple hundred less points than goulet obviously goulet is a you know hall of famer but um it still to me just felt like you know with the the team success mixed in with just like how good he was at his peak and how that led to playoff success i felt like that kind of outweighed the individual success of michael goulet for example um so yeah, let's move on to Winnipeg here. Easy one off the top, Connor Hellebuck, uh, best goaltender in franchise history. He has been one of the best goalies in the NHL for God going on, like I would say six, seven years now. I'm, pr- I'm I would say give or take. Um, just consistently has been just the backbone of that team. And I think has helped a lot of teams that would have underperformed otherwise, if it weren't for his pretty stellar goaltending. So I think that's a no brainer. Blake Wheeler was my next one. And I also, I guess we'll loop in Dustin Bufflin there just to have uh, Mm -hmm. a little bit of Atlanta representation. Those two guys just really, you know, kind of going back to the point I made before with why I think it makes sense with Ben uh, for Dallas. Those two guys are just two leaders of that team. Like you think about Winnipeg and you think about like the leadership groups there and guys who were really like the star players, you know, like captains. And when they were at their peak, um, Wheeler and Bufflin, I think both absolutely fit the bill there and are, are pretty beloved by those, by that fan base. And then my fourth one that I have, I wanted to do a fun one. I went straight up Atlanta. I went Ilya Kovalchuk and I will give Mark Shifley my honorable mention there. That's Moving right. down, What's that? Right move. Yeah. Kovalchuk was unbelievable with Atlanta. So good. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to who do we want to do next? How about we do Minnesota next? I will start off with the only player that has played over a thousand games in wild history. That being Miko Koivu, of course, their beloved captain played a thousand twenty eight games. He's their all time leader in points with seven hundred nine leader in assists with five hundred four. Beloved player there played, I believe his whole career there, right? Wasn't he potentially going to leave? And then he didn't, I don't think he ended up going anywhere after for like a year or something. I remember that was, a, there was a conversation about that. And then I think he just ended up retiring. Uh, oh no, he did. He played with Columbus actually for seven games. Never mind. Excuse me. What? Yeah. 2020 and uh, to 2021, he played 
seven games for the Blue Jackets, and then I think pretty promptly retired, I want to say. <laughs> wow. Can't totally say I blame him. Uh, next up, I have pretty, the guy who I think really was the very obviously the face of the franchise upon expansion, Marion Gabryk. He's the all-time leader in goals there with 219. Uh, he's top 10 in scoring for them with 502 points. And this one, I think, was more just about like a peak and excitement for them, uh, just as they're kind of coming into the league after not having a franchise for so long. He's obviously their prized top pick and was one of the best offensive players in the league in the 2000s uh, with really how dangerous he was. Then I'm going to go with Zach Parise. Him and Ryan Suter, of course, were a pair of the two big free agent signings that obviously didn't end up panning out, but they at least were consistently a playoff team. Parise, again, this is one that I think that's like a little bit more symbolic. Like it was a big thing. It was coming home to his hometown team and playing for them. He was a leader for them for a while. He had over 500 points in his time or um, excuse me. He had 400 points in his 558 games there. He's third all time in scoring for the wild. So right off the bat, I have the top three in scoring and Koivu, Gabrick and Parise when it comes to points. And again, same thing with goals too. Gabrick leads in goals. Koivu is second and Parise is third there. Ultimately, I would say this one I didn't get to quite yet just because there hasn't been a lot of like the prolonged postseason success. But I think it's highly likely that Kirill Kaprizov is going to end up taking one of these spots. I just didn't feel really ready to give it to him quite yet. Um, And the last one that I have is a guy that will, I would say, probably pretty safely end up surpassing Miko Koivu for all time games played. That is the current Minnesota Wild captain, Jared Spurgeon. Spurgeon became captain a couple years ago, and he has really just been one of the just consistent fixtures in that Minnesota blue line that really over the years has had a lot of depth. I mean, you talk about obviously Suter, there's Jonas Brodeen has played a lot of games there. Matt Dumbo was there for quite a bit. Like really those, those 2010 teams have really had a, a pretty good defensive group there overall. And Spurgeon has kind of emerged as really the most consistent two-way guy of that bunch. And now obviously it's led to him becoming the captain of the team. Um, he's, fourth in points. So it's actually to put it kind of easy, you know, there's other reasons for it, but I had the top four point scorers on this one. Um, And yeah, I think Spurgeon, again, he's going to go down as one of the all-time greats, probably somebody that I would assume maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but just because they don't have a ton of history to work off, he probably will end up getting his number retired at some point, just given his longevity. And if he stays there and stays healthy. So, and then as far as honorable mentions go, I gave one to Ryan Suter and then Nicholas Backstrom as well for how good he was for them. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the beauty of this exercise. Jared Spurgeon makes it Sergey Fedorov and Ken Dryden. Better luck next time, fellas. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful thing. All right, well, let's move on to Chicago for the next one. Um, off the top, you look at playoff success, you look at longevity and, and just really what they meant to a fan base. And I have Pat Kane and Jonathan Taze. Uh, on my Mount Rushmore there. Kane is second all-time in scoring uh, in Blackhawks history uh, behind the third guy who I'm going to name, but I'll kind of talk about all of them. Stan Makita is also on my list. Makita leads the Blackhawks in games played, assists, and points. Uh, Almost 1,500 points for Stan Makita in 
and just under uh, 1,400 games played there. Uh, but yeah, with Kane and Taze, I mean, you have multiple cups. You have the hardware there. I think that's a no-brainer for them. And just, again, like symbolically, what they meant to Chicago during their time there. And then for my fourth one, I have Tony Esposito, best goalie in franchise history. Um, I know that may be a hot take. I know there's a few other guys we can maybe mention. Dennis Savard, obviously. Uh, Denny Savard is up there. Um, I was not going to put Bobby Hall for just like personal reasons. Just didn't want to <laughs> I was gonna say didn't want to give him the satisfaction, really. Like I yeah, guess. I don't think he would have noticed because uh that whole thing where he's dead. Well, yeah, and also, <laughs> you know, he was an asshole while he was alive. So Yeah, he's a bad dude. I was gonna say I I didn't I didn't know if you're forgetting him if this was a purposeful thing. No, it was intentional to leave him out. I mean, obviously he's the he's their all-time leader in goals, six hundred goals in his time with the Blackhawks. But it was a personal thing. I didn't want to add him in because I don't like him and I didn't have to. That's fair. All right. Almost done here. I believe I have three more to go. So we'll just roll through really quick. Nashville is a pretty easy one. Uh, Again, with them being a newer team, I really just picked guys that had a, a mix of personal success mixed in with their playoff success that they've had and accolades and whatnot. So pair of uh, their two best defensemen in franchise history and Shea Weber and Roman Yossi goes without saying why those two would be included there among the all-time leaders for them. Roman Yossi is uh, first in points. Shea Weber is fifth in points. Again, with both of them meant to that respective franchise with both of them being captains with the hardware that I believe they both are, have been Norris winners in their, uh, in their tenures, if I'm not mistaken with Nashville. Um, Yossi, and then I went, What's that? Yossi, definitely. Did, did Weber, though? That's what I was wondering. Did Weber win a, a Norris? Let me, Let me look this up. Please look that up. In the meantime, I'll keep going. Philip Forsberg I went with. He leads the Predators in goals all time with 266. Uh, he's seventh all time in games played right now. He's second overall in points. I think it's probably decently likely, just given that he's a forward and Yossi's a defenseman, that he ends up passing him. Right now, Yossi's at 654 points and Forsberg is at 568 points. So less than 100 points separating them. And I guess it really just depends on a few factors there, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, and then finally, I have Pecorine, best goalie in franchise history. You have the, you know, the playoff appearances. You have the longevity there. Um, I believe he, yeah, he's the franchise leader in games played and wins. Um, pretty much every goalie stat except for save percentage in which he is actually tied for first with UC Saros. So I think that one's a no-brainer. Honorable mention would just be UC Saros, but we don't even know if he's going to be with Nashville next year or maybe the year after. Who knows there? All right, yeah. two more. Rolling through quick because I know this is taking a bit. St. Yeah, Louis. Just real quick just to answer the question. Shane Weber was oh. second twice. He was second twice. Okay, I knew he was up there at least. All right, St. Louis. I went Bernie Federko. I think that's an easy one off the top. All-time leading scorer for the Blues. All-time leader in games played. Um, really kind of covering that earlier era of blues hockey because the other ones I have are more into the 90s and up to the present day. I had Brett Hall, one of the best blues of all time, I think without question, one of the best pure goal scorers of all time. Chris Pronger I also went with just due to his dominating nature and just how what a peak that he was at. Pronger, he wins the Hart Trophy in the 99-2000 season there. Again, he's a captain. I just think it makes a ton of sense there. And then my last one, this was tough because there was, I think, a lot of appropriate guys that could go here. But I think just somebody to kind of 
have with this most recent iteration of the blues and the success that they had is they were a pretty consistent playoff team and really couldn't get over the hump. They eventually do get over the hump. And I put Alex Pietrangelo down there for being mm. able to lead them to a cup. My honorable mentions were Al McGinnis and Brian Sutter. Uh, and then Arizona slash old Winnipeg. So this one, I, I, it was tough and I kind of leaned more into just like, well, taking into account if a certain particular guy or two maybe had more success with another team or anything like that, and just who was most important to this franchise. So Shane Doan off the top again, leading in just about every individual category. Uh, I have him. I have Keith Kachuk, one of the best power forwards in the NHL uh, during his heyday, was a captain there, meant a lot to that fan base. Teppo Numenen. You want to talk about longevity? You want to talk about a guy that means a lot to a franchise and really was there for a while that covers you both with the old Winnipeg and then them moving to Arizona and then really leaning into the Winnipeg side of things. Of course, got to give it to him. Former Sabre, Dale Howard, Chuck, honorable mentions, Oliver Ackman, Larson, Mike Smith, and Jeremy Roenick. And that is the central division. So, yeah. So moving on to the metropolitan, Oh, that was, yeah, good job on that. Uh, Any disagreements or thoughts? uh no the chicago one you know we talked about that one but i see your point yeah uh i guess in arizona I, maybe no you know what i think that's right i think ronick should be fifth so just just on the outside of it um yeah i think that's pretty much it then honestly it's just, shockingly few hall of famers that's like a 45 year old franchise yep yeah we're the only hall of famer you mentioned there the yes yeah God. All right, well, speaking of franchises that have been around a long time and are shockingly not great at this, the New York Rangers. I had so much trouble and so many names to go through for Boston. And well, Boston was there's a ton of names, but there was just a solid top five, and I just had to eliminate one. <clears throat> Detroit, Montreal, <coughs> Toronto, all these names. Well, no such issue with the Rangers. Good lord, the Rangers, uh, for a team that's been around uh since I don't know, the Calvin Coolidge administration. There aren't a lot of all-time greats that played a long time with the Rangers. There's approximately 10 million great players who played like three years with them. So that'd be like the modern era, like Panarin. Uh, it's it's like Rick Nash. Gabrick was there, I think, for a little while. Uh, even like Wayne Gretzky being there for the time he was. There are so many of those guys that just played a little while there. And the only one I felt fit to actually include on here, because he played long enough, won a hard trophy there, and won a cup. So you can probably guess what I'm talking about. It's Marc Messier. Based for all the reasons listed, it's their only cup in the past 84 years. So pretty important. He was – I don't know if he was the best player, but he was the most important player. He he And he also won a hard trophy there in 92. He played a little bit longer than most of these other long-term stars that another team drafted. So the only – if. Off the top of my head, the only 21st century star the Rangers actually drafted and kept and did not get from another team, Henrik Lundqvist. Got to be on here. Recently inducted into the Hall of Fame. I'm huge on him. I We went over this when he got elected. I think he is so far and away the best 21st century goalie. I think he also, I said this before, I think he's the best goalie ever in that little uh, tri-state area. But mm-hmm. I don't want to get anyone mad. I've been watching The Sopranos recently. I want to say positive things about New Jersey, not bad things. Uh, So moving on, Brian Leach, good argument for best American player ever. And I think the Conn Smythe winner in 94. Either way, he was unbelievable. 
Uh, and then their all-time leading scorer. Brendan, who is it? For the Rangers? Yeah. <laughs> who is the New York Rangers who have existed for almost 100 years? Who is their all-time leading scorer? Why, it's Rod Gilbert, of course. Of course I had to put oh, Rod Gilbert. How silly of me. Well, that's their four. Henrik Lundqvist, Brian Leach, Mark Messier, Rod Gilbert. Honorable mentions, Mike Richter and Harry Howell. <sighs> Rangers. Wow. Good morning, guys. Get your shit together. All right, next one. Also, considering they've had a decent amount of success, not very good. Uh, Carolina slash Hartford. One guy that embodies both of those is Ron Francis, uh, the biggest star easily in Hartford history, and then also super important to the early Canes days and you know their cup run in 02, I believe. Easily the number one guy in franchise history. Uh, number two, Eric Stahl. Yuck. I don't want to talk about why. You know why. Uh, next, Rob Brindamore, both as a player, super important guy, you know, giving them credibility. Also, like Ron Francis as a young franchise, but also he's been their coach for this second run they've had in these past few years. Loves losing in the second round. And then I was kind of drawing a blank on who else could be on here. Cam Ward is just – he had so yeah. many mass seasons that I don't – he was below average like more than half the time, so I didn't think he belonged. So I said Sebastian Ajo. <laughs> Am I missing someone here? Um, I'm not going to say Jordan Stahl because he was a great third liner, third line center for. Who are the first three again? Ron Francis, Eric Stahl, Rod Brindamore. Yeah, that's yeah. No, that's probably fair. Unfortunately. Yeah. So Ajo, who I think got hurt tonight. Uh, honorable mentions: the Hartford Whalers logo and staff infections. Moving on, Philadelphia. Oh, my God. Good history. Philadelphia is one of those teams that has a bunch of different eras that you kind of – I kind of wanted to represent. So I went – it was tough because they were really good in the mid-'70s, really good in the mid-'90s, and, and throughout the 90s and early 2000s. So to address that, I tried to hit a few. I couldn't get all the errors, though. Anyway, I did, they just love going to a cup every six years and losing it. <laughs> Until recently, that was the number one thing that Philly loved doing. So Bobby Clark is probably the best player in franchise history. Has a bunch of their records. The Cups in 74 and 75. Great stuff. Their goalie at that time. Perhaps the best goalie in the world at the time, Bernie Perrant. That's Those two are self-explanatory. The other ones are a little tougher, I thought. Uh, one that I included that I wasn't sure which way to go. Like I said, they got really good in like 95. And they were pretty good for about a decade with the same team. Or they, they ran through a few guys, but there was a few great players that played for these teams. I went with Eric Lindros, first overall pick. He was a Hart Trophy winner. He was great. He left, and then his career was cut short, but he left Philadelphia before it was to go to New York. So he left, I think, in 2000. He's great. I, I included him over some guys I'll mention in the honorable mentions who were his teammates. And then Ron Hextall, who was their goalie for multiple cup runs. I think very far apart, by the way. One in the late 80s and one in the, I think, 97 when they lost to the Red Wings. And he's he's their all-time leader in all their goaltending goal categories, even head of Perrant. I didn't want to include two goalies. It felt weird to include two goalies for a franchise that notoriously doesn't have goaltending. Mm-hmm. But Hextall had a lot, He and he took over as a tough job taking over after the Pelly Lindbergh tragedy. So Hextall, I think, belongs on here. I will not be commenting on anything post his playing career, uh, his GM career, if you want to call it that. Yeah, so that that was the four. 
what I had trouble with was Claude Giroux. I had to leave Claude Giroux mm. off to put Hextall on. Giroux is really high in all their franchise stuff. He's behind Bobby Clark, but pretty much no one else. He's a thousand point guy. Almost all of them with Philadelphia played a thousand games with them. It just struck me that Giroux was a pretty young guy. I think it was his second full season when they went to the cup in 2010. And they have just been such a mediocre franchise since then. It just would have felt weird, uh, especially post-2012. I don't know if they've won a playoff series. It just would have felt weird to me to put Giroux on uh, to represent that era when they really needed more representation of the years where they actually were winning in the postseason. And so Giroux, that's tough. Without them off. I also put honorable mentions for Barber, Prop, and then these were the guys I was talking about. I was thinking alongside Lindros, uh, LeClaire, and Recchi, mm. who also had great runs with Philadelphia. Uh, but I put Lindros ahead of them because it was hard trophy. Moving on to New Jersey. Yeah, this was not a hard one, honestly, I thought. If there was a one thing I could have done, uh, but I decided at the last second to change one thing here, and I, this is the only time I did something like this, but it's Brodeur, no doubt about it. There is a bunch of goaltending records. Top 10 to 15 goalie of all time, I'd say. Yeah, Scott maybe. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, three cups, five appearances, a lot of success with this fella, and regardless of anything else I would say about Brodeur, Nobody in the world had the durability that he had as a goalie. Unparalleled. Durability slash longevity. And then, the, you know, the Scots, Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer, patrolled the blue line. Uh, unbelievable having both of those guys on the same team. What else can you say about him? That's just easy, super easy. The one that I thought is a little bit unusual, but I'm putting it on here, Lou. These are all from the same era. Mm. You, you notice, but uh, I would also ask, what other Devils era do you want me to pull from? <laughs> not recently and not before Lou got there, I'm guessing. Lou is, he kind of lost the plot these days, but there was a time when he was not just the best GM in the NHL, but revolutionarily good GM. He changed the way hockey was played, not for the better, but he did it. He put his mark on the game, and they were pretty consistently good. And even after Stevens is gone, Niedermeyer is gone, Brodeur, I would argue he slowed down a little, not a lot, but you wouldn't even notice because their defensive system stayed so good. 2008, 2009, 2010, they went to the Cup in 2012. Uh, they were really good for a really long time, and they were great for part of that time, and that was because of Lou. The guy I left off that I really thought about that I was going to put on instead of Lou was Patrick Eliash. Uh, but I'd say he's just below a Hall of Fame level. And then other guys that consider, one, Ken Dayanko, and I, I never say his name right, Ken, whatever, Kenny D. <laughs> And uh, one to keep an eye on, considering he's their all-time leader in single-season scoring already, is Jack Hughes. Got to keep an eye on that for sure. If he can stay healthy, uh, I think – I don't know who you would push off this list, but maybe someday you move Lou off and, or he puts himself solidly ahead of Eliash. We'll see. I didn't put Brian Gianta on there, but shout-out to Brian Gianta anyway. He is their all-time leader in single-season goals still. Probably coming for him, though, Jack Hughes is. All right, moving on quick. Let's get to the next four. Washington. I decided not to put Ovechkin on here. Just kidding. Ovechkin's on. <laughs> um, that was the easiest one by far. Washington, notoriously, like, one of the worst franchises from its inception until basically the late 80s. So I was looking at late 80s, their late 80s to 90s stuff they had going on was interesting. And then the Ovechkin era. So Ovechkin, and I thought, you know, Ovechkin would not – 
be able to be the all-time leading goal scorer, if not for the Capitals' all-time leader in assists, Nick Backstrom, just recently left probably for good. So both of those guys obviously have to be on there. Uh, and then another guy that I think you have to be on there is the guy who uh, coincided with them becoming a serious franchise, in my opinion, in the late 80s and early 90s. That's Peter Bondra, a 500-goal scorer. Not a Hall of Famer, but I'd say along the lines of Keith Kachuk and Jeremy Roenick could get in there someday. He's right on the borderline. And then there was a bunch of guys I was thinking about throughout the years, but I just I was really impressed by this guy being a Vesna winner who had multiple great playoff runs but was super vital when they needed him in their cup year, Braden Holpe. Short prime, but it was a great prime. And at the end of the day, you want guys that you remember winning the with, and they won the cup with him. So that puts him over Olaf Kolzig for me, even though Kolzig has, I believe, a lot of their franchise records. Other guys to mention that played for them, uh, Mike Gartner, John Carlson, still around, Sergey Gonchar, Scott Stevens, again, Scott Stevens was there for a short time. Barry Trotz, as a coach, I think you have to mention, considering how much they fell off after he left. And then next is the Islanders. Not that difficult of one, and it really leans early 80s. The Islanders are a team that basically all of their best years in their 40-plus year franchise history, almost all of them took place within like a six-year period. So with that said, uh, Mike Bossy, Brian Trotche, Billy Smith, and Dennis Potvin, uh, super easy to me, putting those four there. And then right after that, Clark Gillies, who also is on those teams, and Al Arbor, their coach. Uh, I'm including – so those those who are Hall of Fame – or sorry, those are honorable mentions for me, Gillies and Arbor. But worth mentioning that they have all four of the guys on the Mount Rushmore and the best two honorable mentions are all on that team because they won – I believe the answer is 23 or 19 playoff series in a row. 19 playoff series in a row. One of the most dominant dynasties of all time. And also threw John Tavares in there. I couldn't think of anyone else in the entire history of the Islanders in that era <laughs> except for John Tavares. <laughs> I don't know who else I could have picked. It could have, I don't know, Brock Nelson or something, Rick DiPietro. But anyway, next is Pittsburgh. The reason we did this whole exercise is because how good Pittsburgh's is. And this was one that required very little thought. It's Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, Yamir Yager, and Evgeny Melkin. That is, if I'm not mistaken, that's double-digit MVPs between those guys, double-digit Hart Trophy wins, a ton of Hart Rosses. Lemieux at his best uh, – was maybe the best player ever, just was hurt all the time. The best way I could put this is Malkin is a Hart Trophy winner who I think had two seasons where he finished second overall in Hart Trophy voting. He will be a 500-goal scorer, 1,000-point guy, Con Smythe winner. He is easily the fourth best guy on here. It's just an unbelievable array of forwards. Uh, honorable mentions, Chris Letang, Ron Francis, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Tom Barrasso. There's a bunch of other guys that, played a short while, especially in the early 90s with them. There's guys that popped in and out. These are the guys that are the four um, guys, the four honorable mentions, I think, that really stand out for having an extended run with the Penguins. All right, then the last one I have for the Metropolitan Division, I think this is going to rival the Wild for sucking. <laughs> this one is not good at all. It is the Columbus Blue Jackets. I can't believe I'm ending on this note, <laughs> but good Lord, this shit sucks. One person that doesn't suck on here. There's two people that don't suck on here. Sergei Bavrovsky, that was easy. Two-time Vesna winner. Easily their best goalie ever. He was a guy that kind of made the Blue Jackets the a, 
a, a good competitive team for the first time. They'd made the playoffs once, I think, in the West, but after they came to the East, they're kind of they've been in a in a bad way for quite a while. They've been bad and boring for a long time. Bobrowski was that trade that they made ended up being huge. And then of course I have to mention Rick Nash, who is their only bright spot pretty much throughout the aughts. A fantastic super electric goal scorer was a Rocket Richard guy, I believe, in 0304, despite playing with no talented players whatsoever. He's great. Uh, can can this be one of those Mount Rushmores that has two people on it? Is that Go allowed? for it. Yeah, that's allowed. No, I'm joking. Here's the other two guys. I have. <laughs> John Tortorella. I can't even believe I'm saying that. But his commitment to playing his just get to the playoffs by any means possible brand of hockey um, led to the greatest run in their franchise history, which is super sad. But they then making the playoffs 17, 18, 19, and 20, and then winning – beating the 62 win Tampa Bay sweeping them in 19 and then in 20 in the bubble to Toronto series. There's no doubt about it. That is the best run the blue jackets have ever had. It's not even close. I guess you have to put the coach there, especially considering how much they were definitely a, a team that it, they played his vision. And then Jesus Christ, I guess Cam Atkinson's going on here. Wow. Because my other options are their all-time leader in games played Boone Jenner or Artemi Panarin who played two years there. So that's it. Bobrovsky, Nash, Atkinson, and Torts. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. That's the worst one. I mean, I'm sure we're going to get to Seattle in a second, but good Lord. Yikes. All right. Well, I, again, not much really to, to go back at you on there. I felt like everything was pretty appropriate. And for some of those, like the Blue Jackets and, and Hurricanes, it wasn't exactly uh, – the easiest or best crop to pick from that's more just to dig at the hurricanes if anything else, but <laughs> no, I, uh, I like it. That's that's job. Well done, sir. Thank you. What do you think of Giroux versus Hextel? I think it's tough. I think that's one of those ones where admittedly, like, I don't know. You just, you know how important Giroux was in, in our generation and growing up and comparing that to a time that we really didn't get to experience and given that it is relatively close, I would say it's it's kind of hard to judge. I mean, what was the deciding yeah. factor for you with that? That they were good when Hextall was there? Yeah, that that's fair. That's pups. exactly what I was going to say. Is that I mean, but they were good when Giroux was there, too. They just obviously didn't get over the hump. Yeah, but the thing with the, the Giroux thing that I was thinking was he wasn't really Giroux yet when they made the cup. And then after that, they only won one playoff series. Two. I beat us. I forgot about that for a second. They won playoff series. They, they lost in the second round in 11 and 12. And then they didn't win a playoff series his last 10 years there. Mm. That's bad. It's easily the worst run the Flyers have ever had. So I don't know. Kind of hard. It, it doesn't really feel that way, but it's, the Flyers have been down bad for a while. And that was really the Giroux era. True. All right. Should I rip through here and finish things off with the Pacific? Yep. Okay, first off, we are going to start off with Edmonton. I think this one's relatively easy. Wayne Gretzky starting things off. Four Stanley Cups, two Conn Smythe trophies, seven Art Ross trophies, and eight Hart trophies. I, I think that's probably good enough to get you secured there. Mark Messier goes without saying, obviously, one of the, the best NHL players of all time. The captain of those obviously incredible Oilers teams that had brought home those cups. He won a Conn Smythe and a Hart. Again, he was the captain. A thousand points in his time with the Oilers. It's a no-brainer. Connor McDavid, 
this is also, I think, a no-brainer given, even though I should say there's been so much success within the Oilers organization, he's already fourth in points and at this stage in his career, and he's got a lot of mileage left, folks. Three MVPs and four Art Ross trophies. We'll see if he'll be able to add the hardware of the team sense, a.k.a. a Stanley Cup someday, but I think McDavid has already easily cemented himself as one of the the best players in Oilers history and will eventually end up going down as one of the best players in NHL history. And then Yari Curry, Wayne Gretzky's wingman, second in points in franchise history for the Oilers. Again, all of the team accolades as well there. Unbelievable goal scorer. I think that one was pretty easy. Honorable mentions, wanted to give a shout out for a guy that I think is just like an Oilers guy, and that's Ryan Smith, captain for a very long time there. He was somebody that I thought about, but obviously just did not have the personal success to really you know, match up with how much he means to the fan base. I think Dreisaitl will ultimately end up putting himself in the conversation too, as he continues to have a stellar career. And then what was really the toughest one who I was really came down to between Curry and this guy, that would be Paul Coffey. One of the obviously best defensemen in NHL history. One of the best offensive defensemen uh, that we've seen in the NHL. Moving on to the Kings. Familiar. Leon? Yeah. I said Dreisaitl was an honorable mention. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, with the ability to maybe move up, but onto the Kings, a familiar face, Wayne Gretzky, 918 points in 539 games. Unbelievable. Ah, it's just so sad that this team was not able, able to get over the hump because those Kings teams in the nineties with him and Robitaille were so much fun, even though they weren't able to capture that Stanley cup. He still, to his credit, Gretzky had three art Ross trophies, three lady bangs and a heart trophy in his time with the Kings. Luke Robitaille, another obvious one, maybe the most popular and well-known king in franchise history. 557 goals leading the way, and again, one of the best goal scorers of his era. You want to go old-school all-timer, Marcel Dion, regular 40-goal, 100-point player. He led the league in points in the 79-80 season. Just, again, one of the best players of of all time, easily uh, a, a top 50 player. I mean, that's even probably taking it a little bit too far out, but one of the best of the best, and so Dion was an easy one. And then my fourth, Anze Kopitar, two-time cup winner and one of the best two-way players of his era. He leads the Kings in games played. He's first in assists, and he's second in points. Uh, for my honorable mentions, I went with Jonathan Quick, Drew Doughty, Dustin Brown, and Rob Blake. Moving Solid on now, team. what's that? Solid team. The yeah, the I think I think the Kings are are definitely up there. They they have one of the best ones for sure. Um, Seattle, we have next. This is an easy one. It really is just kind of based on their very short tenure. But I went with Jared McCann, Adam Larson, Vince Dunn, and Jordan Eberle. Those are pretty much the four guys that are either leading or at the top or near the top of uh, all of the respective major categories right now. We'll see how that ends up shaking out. That's probably a question to better visit in a few years, but for the time being really not much needed to, you know, get into there. San Jose sharks though. I have next Joe Thornton leads the sharks all time in assist. He is uh, also only 56 points behind Patrick Marlowe, despite playing significantly fewer games. So Thornton, the, trade that just made waves across the NHL, obviously him going to San Jose from Boston back in 05, um, a, a major moment in a turning point in the history of that franchise. And Thornton immediately just continued to be one of the best players in the league for over, uh, you know, for, for, for several years there. And was just, again, a, a really quality high end player there leading Tampa or excuse me, leading San Jose to repeated playoff appearances and runs, just never really being able to get over the hump. 
Patrick Marlowe, as I mentioned, all-time leader in points, the career longevity we all know. Uh, he hit the 30-goal mark seven times in his career with the San Jose Sharks. So, again, captain like Thornton, no-brainer there. Joe Pavelski, four seasons with over 35 goals. He had a 41-goal campaign in 2013-14. But really why I have him on here, uh, in addition to being captain, is the fact that he has the most goals scored by an American in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And Pavelski is always somebody that has just been able to rise to the occasion throughout his career. And it's it's really a shame. He's he's just one of those guys that it feels like really, really deserves a cup and and the longevity and the renaissance that he's had in his career late, especially with how it's how he's been playing in Dallas. Um, amazing to see and a testament to what a special player that he is. Finally, Evgeny Nabokov. We have a Calder winner. 697 games played for the Sharks with a career 9-11 save percentage. Obviously, these are going to be some team stats here, but while he was the starter for San Jose, they took home five Pacific Division titles, a President's Trophy, and he, uh, for his own credit, for some personal stats, or I should say personal accolades, uh, received a Vesna nomination five times throughout his career. Honorable mm -hmm. mentions were Brett Burns and Owen Nolan. Uh, before I get into the, the home stretch here with these last four, Taylor, any thoughts so far? What about Mike Greer? He'll get there someday. <laughs> uh, no, that's, I think that's right. Uh, maybe honorable mention Couture. I don't know. Just cause yeah, maybe unbelievable when they made the cup, but other than that, yeah, I think that's good. All right. Well, moving on then to Calgary, easy one off the top, Jerome McGinley, captain for nine years. He is an art Ross and a rocket Richard winner. I think everybody could probably agree he is the best Calgary Flame ever. Uh, Al McGinnis, one of the best defensemen in franchise history. He led them to their first cup, and in that cup won the Conn Smythe. Uh, Mika Kiprasov, I have three. He is a William Jennings and a Vesna Trophy winner. Uh, a stat that I just think is absolutely absurd. He played 70 or more games every season from 05-06 to 2011-2012. Oh my god. Is that not outrageous? Did he just self, you know, did he just just kind of lay down and take a 3-year nap after that? He Is would that hibernate in the off out of the league immediately. Yes, he would he would hibernate in the off season, just literally sleep for 3 months straight. That's I mean that is that is just absolutely nuts. Like starting in 0506 and going through 74 games played with 42 wins, 74 games played with 40 wins, 76 games played with 39 wins, 76 games played with 45 wins, 73 games played with 35 wins, 71 games played with 37 wins, and then 70 games played with 35 wins in his second last season in the NHL. Crazy stuff. And then my final one that I have is Lanny McDonald. He holds the franchise record for single or for goals in a single season with 66. That came in 82, 83. And I think what really, really puts him over the top above uh, some of the honorable mentions like Theo Fleury is the fact that he has a mustache that was crafted by the gods. Yeah. Fantastic look. Very handsome. Absolutely. Man. All right. Some easy ones here down the stretch. At least I think they're pretty easy. So we'll just roll through really quick. Vancouver, the Sedin brothers off the top probably the two best players in franchise history, two most talented players in franchise history. Uh, you have regular playoff appearances. You obviously have scoring titles. You have a heart trophy in there. You have the, the accolades. It's, it, it's a no brainer having these two guys uh, who have just been 
the probably single-handedly two most important players in Vancouver Canucks history as part of this. Uh, I have Roberto Luongo, best goaltender in franchise history there for Vancouver, obviously was a mainstay on those teams, especially the team that went to the cup and ended up not being able to get over the hump there. But Luongo had some of his, his best years and was really like at his peak of peaks when he was with Vancouver, really was one of, if not the best goalie in the NHL. Uh, and then the fourth spot was a tough one for me. I was between Trevor Linden, Marcus Naslund, and Pavel Bure, all for different reasons. But just in terms of importance to the franchise, I went with Trevor Linden for that one. Vegas, this is a tougher one, I guess, kind of. But, I mean, just because they're so new, similar to Seattle. But for mine, I have Jonathan Marchessault, um, Mark Stone, Shea Theodore, and Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury, obviously not there anymore, but and was unable to win a cup with them last year, but was the face of that franchise coming out of that expansion draft. Um, was was great, like legitimately great while he was with Vegas early on there and was a, a key cog in their success in the early goings of, of their franchise. Honorable mention, Wild Bill Carlson. And then finally, Anaheim. This is a pretty good one, I think. Anaheim has, a, I think, a pretty safe, easy four. Um, and, I mean, maybe an honorable mention could be in contention here. But Paul Correa, off the top, one of the most beloved players in NHL history and in franchise history. Same could be said for his running mate, Timu Solani, one of the best goal scorers ever. You have just, I mean, those two playing together just was absolutely electric just two com just unbelievably likable players who were both so talented and brought two very different styles and strengths to their game but played off of each other so well and were so lethal on the ice together uh then scott niedermeyer of course one of the best defensemen if not the i should say probably the best defenseman in franchise history for the ducks uh, of course helping lead them to a stanley cup and my fourth is the best goalie in franchise history for the anaheim ducks and that would be jean sebastian giger Again, that one just being what he had meant to that organization, to that fan base, helping lead them to a cup, um, and just the longevity in which he had, had played there. Honorable mention, I guess you could throw Ryan Getzlev in there. I think that's probably appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Not a goaltending success there. Yeah. Interesting goalies. What are your thoughts, Taylor? Any other uh, thoughts with the rest of my lists? Um. Not particularly. I think Flurry was a good one for Vegas because, you know, their first year, they were not a team that – they were not a cup-level team and they made the cup because he was so insanely good for those three rounds. The Ducks, heavily 03 and 07, it seems like. So I respect that. Yep. Those are good. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Did you – let me think here. You know, I'm going through the whole thing, I think Vegas is easily better than Columbus and Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, Seattle's the worst, but it's been two and a half years, so that's not really fair. So I'm going to say adjusted. The worst is either Columbus or the Rangers. I mean, the Rangers being around as long as they have. Yeah, ridiculous. I guess like relative, but like, I mean, when you have Hall of Famers on your list, it's kind of hard to. I mean, we got Roger Bear. You gotta have him. You just gotta. <laughs> uh, all right, Taylor, any other thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off? Yeah, I recommend Driveway Dolls. Okay, there you have it, folks. All right, well, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. 
And last but not least, make sure you are following them on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And before you close out of this app, whatever you're using to listen to this episode, make sure you're following or subscribe to us. And we would very much appreciate it if you leave us a nice rating or review. Last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsor. That would be DraftKings Sportsbook. We love them, folks. We hope you do, too. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday, everybody. Have a great start to your week. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Stay on the bedroom floor.